CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Friday, everybody. I'm Melissa Lee. It is time for another special edition of Options Action. We're joined tonight by Mike Coe, Tony Zhang, and Carter Worth. So let's get straight to it. Apple rallying today as a tech giant gears up for earnings next week. The stock is now up 14% over the past month, but the chart master is not convinced that that run will continue. So, Carter, what are the charts telling you? Well, of course, look, this is a darling, as is the case with a lot of these uh, super cap names. But its behavior since January actually has been very poor relative. Let's look at a few charts. What we know, of course, first is this stock made a low back in January of 18 of $140 and surged essentially to 327 before collapsing with the market. Didn't offer any defense, went down just as much as the market, uh, hit a 212 low and closed this week at 283. But if you look at the next chart, this is important. If you are defensive or considered defensive. We just talked, is it more defensive than Procter, for instance? Apple sells off 35%. That's the exact same sell-off as the S&P, offering no defensive qualities. And then now having rebounded 35%, but you're not back to the high, of course. That's the nature of percentage, drawdown, and ricochets. Final uh, chart. Now, this is a two-panel chart, and this really does uh, tell the tale. What we see here is Apple on top, but its relative performance to the NASDAQ 100 continues to stall. And by my work, that is its problem. And I think one is right to be skeptical going into the earnings print this coming week. All right, Carter. So uh, we go to Mike. What's your trade out of this? Yeah, so it's interesting as far as I'm concerned. Apple, you know, this obviously is a company with a fortress balance sheet. And a lot of technology companies, some would say, are you know, well-positioned, all things considered, for what is obviously a very weak economic environment. But the thing is, this is a hardware company, and you know, it used to trade at a hardware company multiple, which meant that it traded at a discount in terms of valuation relative to the rest of the market because of that, like a lot of other consumer electronics companies did. Right now, it's trading over 20 times. And I have a hard time believing not only that they would meet their guidance, which I don't think anybody is expecting, but that the first thing that's going to happen when we start to see any form of a rebound is that you're going to start seeing that you can make up the gap in lost iPhone sales and things like that. Now, of course, this is also a stock that's trading only 13.5% or so off of its all-time highs. You wrap all of that into it, and it's hard for me to be optimistic. In fact, I was short Apple coming into today, and I added more bearish positions on it. And the one that I would recommend right here, because implied volatility remains high, would be a May 260, July 265 put diagonal. You would sell the May 260 puts, buy the July 265 puts. When I was looking at that, mid-market, it was about $9.75. I actually bought some myself, got them in 965. So we're talking about somewhere less than $10. That's less than 3.5% of the current stock price. And the idea here is that the elevated implied volatility is a function of two things, that that we see in the market, and also what we're expecting for earnings. Some of that is likely to come out after they report. And obviously, I don't need to remind anybody who's watching, probably a lot of people know this already. This name was already downgraded by Goldman Sachs earlier this week, but it really didn't respond very much to that. I think it's actually held up pretty well, all things considered. But I have a feeling earnings might be the catalyst that get other people to sort of come around on this and recognize that maybe this isn't the place to be. 
Tony, do you agree with the with the forecasted direction uh, of the stock, and and how do you like the trade? Yeah, I think the stock right now is actually fairly priced, but I think the fact that. Mike is going out to July speaks to more of his longer term bearish view, especially in consumer spending, which I think Apple is more susceptible to. I particularly like his trade because Mike has spoken about using diagonals over over calendars for the last few weeks. And I think this is a prime example of using that, specifically the fact that he's using the May 260 strikes, which are about 8% out of the money right now, which is just about the implied move that you see here for May, risking only 3.5% of the underlying stock price to take a bearish view going all the way out to July. So for those reasons, I actually quite like this this Pacific trade. Mike, any caveats as we go? I mean, because Apple could be whipsawed by a lot of the other earnings that come out ahead of it. Yeah, no, that's that's an excellent point. I mean, there's a, look, these stocks, Apple in particular, and many of the other largest names, I mean, they themselves, they are the market largely, right? They've become proxies for it. So if we get into a risk-on environment or risk-off environment, a lot of these stocks are going to be playing with each other and are likely to be highly correlated. But the thing is, one of the reasons we're looking out to July is that at some point, there's likely to be a divergence when people begin to recognize that there are some stocks that are going to be winners, there are some that are going to be losers, and there are some that, even if they are going to hold up relatively well from a fundamental perspective, might be a little bit overpriced here. That's how I feel about Apple. Carter, on the, on the last half hour, you came on with a chart of the broader tech sector, uh, indicating that perhaps in the week after this week, uh, we could see some declines in the S&P 500. Uh, does that mean that we're going to see the deepest declines in the tech sector itself? Or would you be looking uh, for those declines in other sectors? Well, what's interesting, let's take this week, for instance, only one sector was up, and it's the sector that's the worst. It's energy. Energy results up last week, whereas materials two weeks in a row down, uh, financials two weeks in a row, industrials. So I think if there is trouble, uh, it would likely be heavier trouble here at the, in paradise, so to speak, at the strong end of the market, these tech names, versus some of the beaten down uh, financials and materials, which to some extent, while that doesn't mean they have a good week next week if the market's down, a lot has already been uh, taken out of them. All right. Well, Apple isn't the only tech giant reporting results next week. We'll also hear for headliners uh, Alphabet, Amazon, Facebook, and Microsoft. And Tony's betting on big things with Microsoft's report. So, Tony, what are you looking for? What's your trade? Yeah, so I'm looking at Microsoft here, which is a bit of a different comparison to Apple because Microsoft actually generates 50% of their revenue from their Azure cloud business as opposed to a consumer business like Apple. And I think as we continue to shift to working from home after COVID-19, I think Microsoft is definitely one of the stocks that are going to benefit from that. And if we look at the chart, the outlook actually is, we can see it in the particular chart. The chart is less than 10% away from its all-time highs. And not only is it outperforming the market, it continues to outperform the technology sector. This is the type of strong relative strength that I'm looking for going into an earnings announcement. Now, if we look at the earnings itself, the stock actually historically doesn't move a whole lot on earnings, only averaging about a 2% move over the last four quarters. Even though it's implying right now about a 6% move going into the next earnings next week, but given the fact that the stock has run 32% over the last month, uh, despite the fact that there are strong estimate, estimate revisions going into this earnings cycle, I think that there's going to be limited upside here for this particular 
particular stock. So the strategy I'm looking for, given the fact that we have relatively strong elevated implied volatility, and the fact that I think that there's limited upside on this particular stock, is I'm going out to June 5th, the weekly options, and I'm selling the 172 and a half, 162 and a half, put vertical here, collecting roughly about $4 credit. I'm selling the June 172 and a half for about $9.40 and buying the 162 and a half for about $5.40. Net net here, I'm collecting $4 credit on a $10 wide credit spread, so about 40% of the width. And this strategy has a break even price of 168 and a half, which still gives me about a 3.5% move to the downside, which is more than almost double the average move that we've seen on earnings over the last four quarters here for Microsoft. Carter, what did you make of Tony's levels and what what'd you think of his charting? I mean, I've got to ask the chart master what he thought of Tony's charting. That's all good. I mean, <laughs> listen, here, no, please, we're all entitled to pull up the chart and render a judgment. But what we do know is the things are important that Tony said is the relative performance, right? This stock outperformed the market on the way down, dropping only 30% versus the software uh, subsector dropping 35 It's outperformed on the way back up and it's 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 very close to uh, its all-time high. It might just be, in many ways, if you will, the Johnson & Johnson of 1985, the most stable business around utility, if you will. Uh, this is certainly a place to belong, and relative to Apple, most certainly so. Mike, what do you think of the trade? Yeah, so, I mean, I have some things I certainly like about it. There are a couple things that concern me a little bit as well. The things that I do like, one of them Tony already highlighted, which is when you're getting 40% of the uh, distance between the strikes in terms of premium on a short put spread that's out of the money, uh, that's pretty good math. It's working for you. The other thing I'd point out is that when you're short verticals, even if you get the direction wrong and it runs through it in the short term because it's June expiration, it's not like it's going to go straight to $10 in the meantime. So, that isn't really the, risk, the fair risk-reward instantaneously. So those are things that I certainly like about it. Things that I am a little bit less enthusiastic about, I have to say, is this is a stock that's up over 40% uh, year on year. It's trading very close to you know, high valuations for you know, the past several years at about 30 times. Fundamentally, the story is obviously very strong. People talk about names like Zoom. They talk about Slack. They talk about Amazon as companies that are benefiting essentially from this kind of a situation where people are working from home. Microsoft has those same things working for it, too, because Teams incorporates features of Slack. It incorporates features of Zoom. And in fact, I, I actually use the product. But the valuation concerns me a little bit. And so, you know, if I was going to look to try to collect some premium, I might be selling upside call verticals instead if I could get the kind of risk reward that Tony's identified with this puts for it. Tony, last word. I completely agree, but I we couldn't I couldn't find the type of premium on those call spreads, which is why I'm choosing to go for these put spreads here, and especially with the strong relative strength. All right. Coming up, a retail reckoning. The coronavirus outbreak could unleash a wave of bankruptcies in the retail space. But Tony says there is one name you really need to pay close attention to. Find out how he's playing it through options. And later, we are taking your tweets, so send us your questions at Options Action. We'll answer some of them on air. We are back right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome back to Options Action. Retail rebounding today and surging into the green for the week, but the entire sector is facing unprecedented pressure as the coronavirus continues to spread. And the outbreak could trigger a wave of bankruptcies. Let's get to Courtney Reagan with more on this story. Courtney. Hi, Melissa. So there were a number of retailers that were sort of on the brink well before coronavirus. Names you've been talking about, like a Neiman Marcus or a JCPenney. But there are also others that maybe were healthier, but could be pushing possible to a bankruptcy now. Look, most of the sales are still generated in physical stores, and the business models just weren't built to sustain closures for this amount of time. You've got expenses and fixed costs that remain even if the cash flow in store is zero or near zero. Now, of course, many do have e-commerce operations that are still running, and some, including Dick Sporting Goods and American Eagle, said online sales, in fact, took off when stores were closed. But three quarters of Dick's Sporting Goods total sales are still in stores, about 70 percent for American Eagle. So it doesn't quite make up for the store's loss. And every retailer right now is doing what they can to shore up liquidity, to calculate how much longer they can keep going under these unprecedented conditions. Also wondering if shoppers will come back when stores begin to reopen and what shopping behavior will look like. Put together, it just could mean bankruptcies from retailers that were previously healthier that weren't necessarily considered distressed even 30 days ago. More than one restructuring or bankruptcy expert that I spoke to used the term tsunami to refer to the, no- to the number of bankruptcies that may be coming. Federal court is open. Bankruptcies could be filed now, but it's not ideal because it starts a 180-day clock for reorganization. And the main liquidity to pay back creditors is from those going out of business sales once the stores have been identified that will close. You can't hold those sales if the stores are already closed. Melissa? Courtney, I'm curious. I mean, obviously the department store and the mall-based retailers are probably going to have it the toughest, but in terms of the stores where the experience matters the most, like a TJ Maxx or a Home Goods, I'm just curious, uh, you know, how, how those sorts of stores are faring and whether they have the liquidity to withstand these closures. So interesting that you bring up the off-price sector like the TJX or the Roth stores because they don't have a very big e-commerce presence or operation. And in fact, TJX actually right now has its e-commerce operation closed down. They're very dependent on that in-store experience. On the flip side, they could benefit from all the inventory that is literally sitting in other stores and aging that these retailers are going to have to offload. So many people think there's sort of going to be a treasure trove of merchandise to choose from, which could be good for the off-pricers. Now, TJX did tap its revolver, so it's shoring up its liquidity. I think those guys are in a bit better shape when it comes to this. But at the same time, everybody's trying to look at the calendar and figure out how much it costs them to keep operating like this. A lot of things still unanswered. Yeah, if they can only make it to back to school, that could help. Courtney, thank you. (laughs) Courtney Reagan. Uh, Tony's taking a closer look at one of the more beaten-up names in the retail space. So, Tony, what's on your radar? So I want to take a look at Macy's. Even though I don't think this stock is going bankrupt, but some of the liquidity issues that Courtney brings up is top of mind here. Macy's has cut their dividends, and they've drawn down about $1.5 billion of their credit revolver in order to stay solvent here. So I want to take a look at Macy's because it speaks to the story of this bifurcation that we're currently seeing in the retail space between 
companies that have invested in a digital and online strategy, like Courtney said, like Dollar, uh, uh, Dollar General or Best Buy versus stocks like Macy's that has, that rely on same store sales in order to generate their revenues. So if we look at the chart, Macy's reflects this. The stock is trading near its 52 week low, despite the retail sector actually rallying about 32% off of those lows. And this type of weak relative strength is really concerning for a stock like this. Now I will say for stocks that are low price like this, that have severely oversold uh, territories and the fact that they're fairly volatile, trading options on them many times are very tricky because the strike prices are very far apart from a percentage perspective. So I had to get a little creative here and I was going out to June and I was looking at the $3, $4, $5 put butterfly here because I was looking at selling one contract for the uh, buying one contract for the June $3 puts selling two contracts of the June $4 puts, and then buying one contract of the June $5 puts. Net-net, this put butterfly only costs 17 cents, which is about 3.5% of the underlying stock price. Now, this strategy is profitable if the stock is below $4.83, which is about a 3% move to the downside from today's close, and it's profitable all the way down to $3.17, which is a 33% move to the downside. And this strategy is most profitable if the stock closes at $4 by that June expiration, paying out 83 cents if the stock closes at $4. That's almost about a 500% return on the 17 cent investment for this particular putt butterfly. The numbers in terms of the return potential, Mike, sound good. What do you think of the trade? Yeah, so uh, I like the fact that he's not spending a lot of the distance between the strikes and the premium. And obviously, in a situation like this, the stock itself has become an option on this company's balance sheet. The enterprise value of this business is $8.3 billion or so, only $1.5 billion in equity. What that means is that if the stock drops 20%, that sounds like a huge amount. But actually, that's a really small amount of the, that $300 million move. It's a really small amount of the overall enterprise value. The reason is because the whole company is basically all debt. So if you're inclined to make a bearish bet or even a bullish one using options, you pr pretty much only can look at structures like this because I think it's kind of a binary situation right now with the stock price the way it is because equity makes up such a small percentage of the total value of the business. Carter, I feel like you, you have some pithy thing to say about Macy's chart. <laughs> well, let's just, I mean, debt. Uh, listen, here's the main thing. Did and you say debt? There's a bit of a problem before COVID. Debt. Oh, debt. Debt. Right? Okay. debt is a problem when you're, you're this stock is. Yeah. Yeah. But but Courtney made the point, right, that we're in a situation that's been in trouble for a while. This stock peaked back in 2015. It was fifty six dollars a year. Here we are closing at five and and we're basically flirting with the financial crisis low. In fact, the stock didn't bottom in 09. It bottomed in the autumn of 08 and hit a low of about three thirty seven. I think we're going there. And uh, and then probably worse. This is the kind of thing that does uh, sometimes slip below the surface without a trace. Tony, last word. Yeah, I will just say again, this type of weak relative strength speaks to not only the weakness of physical stores like Macy's, but also department stores altogether. And I'm trying to utilize options to play a cheap way to take a bearish view going into this type of event. Up next, you ask, we answer. The traders are taking your tweets, so you can tweet us at Options Action. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Options Action. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to take your tweets. Our first viewer asks, would now be a good time to do a short put credit spread on the VIX? If ever, I like the if ever part. Mike, why don't you take that question? Yeah, if ever, that's an interesting one, right? Because, you know, when you're trading options on the VIX, you're really trading options on the VIX futures. That's the first thing I would point out. The second thing I would point out is that if you're selling a put spread on the VIX, you're basically betting that the VIX is going to remain elevated or perhaps that it's going to go higher. The interesting thing is that even if the market trends lower, after you've had a really sharp spike like the one that we've had, the VIX can actually continue to come in even as the market comes in. So I probably would avoid that structure for now. All right. Our next uh, question is for Tony. Tony was mildly bullish on Caesars Entertainment with his three-legged option. Can the same bullish sentiment or strategy be applied to Las Vegas Sands? So, Tony, what do you say? So Las Vegas Sands reported earnings yesterday, actually had better than expected reports, but the stock came down about 5% today. Now, Las Vegas Sands has a lot of exposure to Asia, which I actually think makes it a little better than Caesars Entertainment, but Caesars is clearly outperforming right now. My preference here, as opposed to going using that three-leg strategy for Caesars, I'm more inclined to sell a put credit spread here. I was going out to June, and I saw that you could sell that $43, $40 put credit spread, collecting, again, more than a third of the width here. That would be my play here, as long as, uh, as, long as Las Vegas Sands can hold that $40 to $42 support level. All right. Our final tweet is about Disney. With earnings, is it better just to buy the 85 May 15th put for $1, about the cost of one share? So, Carter, what's your take on Disney? Well, I mean, buying the put, of course, is if you're bearish. I think the thing we know about Disney is it took a real beating, much more than the market, down almost 48%. Uh, only thing worse, of course, airlines, some energy stocks, uh, and, of course, the cruise ships, of which Disney is involved. Here's the thing. This is such a big name, and its relative performance actually off the low was very, very good. It bottomed before the market, uh, actually on the 18th, not the 23rd of March. And while obviously it's been slumpish, I think if the earnings are even remotely okay or bad, the stock stays unch. But if there's some surprise that you possibly get a pop because it's so bombed out, my inclination is to be long. All right. And we, of course, thank our viewers for all those fine tweets. Up next, we got the final call. for the final call. Last word from the options pits. Carter Braxton Worth. Well, be contrarian sometimes. Apple, everyone loves it. I'm a seller. Disney, everyone hates it. I'm a buyer. Tony. I'm expecting further weakness in retail. I'm buying a put butterfly on Macy's. Mike. I was short Apple coming in today. I was shorter coming out ahead of earnings. Consumer electronics, not the place to be at this time. All right. That does it for us here on Options Action. We will, of course, be back here next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time with another great show. So don't go anywhere. Meantime, have a great weekend. Mad Money starts right now.
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.